Hey everyone, welcome back to the Microcast and Microcosm Community Call. We have a very special guest on this week's pod, running coach and one of the leading sports dietitians in the country, Kylie Van Horn of Fly Nutrition. On our call today, Kylie and I take a deep dive into developing your long run and race day fueling strategies. We talk about the first steps an athlete can take to addressing their nutrition needs and get into the specific numbers and targets athletes need to focus on in order to perform their best. As the conversation unfolds, we get into what we feel are important parts of that process, which includes doing some homework, like knowing what your fluid loss is in ounces per hour, as well as knowing the sodium concentration of your sweat. Kylie guides us through how an athlete can use that information to enhance their running experience. Our conversation dips into pre-race fueling, both in the week before an ultra and in the hours before, so you can take the 30,000 foot view of learning to fuel better and combine it with actionable and important steps to consider right before race day. If you're a first time listener or a long time listener to this podcast, if you like what you're hearing, please do us a favor and rate and review us on your preferred listening platform. This helps us continue to build our community and get more interesting and important conversations out there. As usual, if you have any feedback, a question for a future call, or are looking for support in your running journey, please visit us on the web at microcosm-coaching.com or contact us at microcosmcoaching at gmail.com. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Yeah. Wow. We haven't had that had that many people on here recently. I think probably because timing and we have the podcast uh, now, so everybody <clears throat> can listen to all of this exciting content on their own schedules, which I think is really important because we've got six coaches' schedules to consider when lining up these calls, and over 200 athletes schedules when making these considerations. And, um, it's really hard to align, uh, all of that into one, uh, coherent time of the week. So, um, it is nice to see faces though. So thank you guys. Um, Kylie, thank you for coming on and sharing your expertise with us. Uh, I know the, the topic of this call race day, long run fueling. It's, it's probably the most important topic for ultra runners and for marathoners and for runners who are doing runs over 90 minutes. Um, fueling your efforts and fueling adequately is really key for a myriad of reasons. Um, we talk about that all the time, but, um, you know, I can see that there's a lot of interest in this. Everybody wants to know how can we tweak our fueling? How can we continue to get better? What is the emerging kind of science and research suggesting we should do? And it's actually been a couple of years since we had a solid sit down with Kylie on these topics. Um, so it'd be really interesting to see what the difference differences are between when we had that conversation before and where we're at now kind of with the research. And guys, if you've got questions, follow-ups, we've got a pretty specific itinerary we're going to go through as you're probably familiar with uh, listening to the pod and whatnot for the last you know year or so. Um, but if you've got a follow-up, use the chat box. Um, I'd love to hear from you guys and we'll do our best to work that all into the conversation. Um, 
but we've got a lot to get through. So I kind of just like want to want to get going with it right away. Um, yeah. All right. Well, the first kind of like prompt to this call is um, I want everyone to kind of start with a beginner's mindset, you know, maybe come into this conversation, assuming you don't know much about race day and long run fueling. Um, and, um, you know, Kylie, let's, let's approach that first question, you know, with that in mind, uh, say you're working with, um, you know, an athlete who's just kind of starting out, just getting into long runs. Um, they've progressed to the point where their, their like Saturday long run is greater than 90 minutes. Um, what can you just kind of explain to our listeners, to our team, um, what happens metabolically when we run more than 90 minutes, what happens to our glycogen stores? What, what's going on there? Yeah. So, um, we have uh, about 90 minutes to two hours worth of glycogen or stored carbohydrate in our muscles and our liver. And um, uh, once we kind of empty those stores, uh, then our body um, strictly is relying on fat for fuel and muscle protein breakdown. Um, so unfortunately that process is much more, um, inefficient in regards to, um, you can keep going, but you will probably feel like crap and, uh, you're going to have to slow down your pace. Um, and, and actually I I should take that back. Some people might not be able to keep going. They might feel absolutely terrible. Um, so at that point, uh, looking to, well, not at that point earlier, you want to start fueling. So fuel often and, and fuel regularly is what I recommend to athletes. Um, and, and make sure that you're getting a minimum of 30 grams of carbohydrate an hour. That's maybe, on the lowest. Maybe, maybe let's not go into the weeds on those exacts yet, but I kind of, I kind of just want everyone to recognize like what's actually happening there right? Like metabolically, um, good time to pause and rewind, which I like having these, those moments for everybody, uh, to kind of learn the, the science there. Uh, we deplete our glycogen stores. Like Kylie mentioned, we've got 90 minutes, maybe to two hours and a be a beginner runner, a runner who's just getting into long runs, isn't going to be pushing that two hour threshold. Um, it'd be very unlikely because that takes a lot of training and training is, you know, part building your aerobic system. It's also part metabolic. Um, so, you know, I think at the very, at the, at the very beginning level, Kylie, like, what would you, what would you recommend an athlete do when approaching that like run? That's more than 90 minutes. You're saying 30, 30 grams of carbohydrates an hour, an hour. That's the starting point. Yeah, that's the starting point. So, um, 30 grams of carbs an hour, but we also have to remember in order to take those in, uh, or absorb those efficiently. Um, we, and I know this is a follow-up question. So we also want to pay attention to electrolytes and hydration, um, as well. So we've got to remember our 
three-part store fueling plan. So always asking yourself when you go out on these efforts, do I have enough fluids, electrolytes, and carbohydrates uh, and calories overall too? And we'll talk about that later that it might not just be, especially for ultra events, it might not just be carbohydrates. So, Right. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I think we've really, at least hopefully everybody's brains are starting to kind of make those considerations. Um, and as I kind of look at like the group of athletes here and um, many of them I'm, I'm coaching and some of them are actually like have just started stepping up over those 90 minute runs. And um, it's really important. Kylie mentioned probably two takeaways. One, you need to you need to put carbohydrates back into your system because we're depleting those carbo those glycogen stores. The second thing is you need to start with that process early. Um, it doesn't start at 90 minutes in when you're already depleted. It starts, you know, a lot sooner than that within the first hour. Um, and so that's where some planning and some, you know, forethought has to go mm -hmm. into this stuff. And we're going to get into that as we, we go along. So let's take this a step further. Um, let's like assume that same athlete that we were just kind of hypothetically talking about. They've, you know, progressed over, you know, a series of months and long runs. And now they're like getting ready for their first ultra. And they finally put that on their plan. And it's 12 weeks out, like the ideal amount of time that an athlete's taking like a pretty solid base and then going into a race specific build. Um, what does that athlete, in your opinion, Kylie, and, and based on kind of the research and your, you know, your experience working with, you know, a, a lot of athletes, what does that athlete really need to do on the fueling side um, to start really preparing for a race of that length? What does that, what does that look like in practice? Um, well, I think number one, I, I do sometimes see athletes take this to the extreme. I would say not as frequently <laughs> as you would think, but, uh, but they, they take fuel on every run, which I don't think is necessary. Like I'm talking, we don't need to take fuel on a 40 minute run. Um, and, and actually I would kind of discourage that a little bit, um, in some ways, because, uh, we do want to allow for our body to, we don't need to overfuel and we need to be able to utilize some fat for fuel. So fat utilization, like I'm not saying we need to be going low carb, high fat or anything. Uh, we, and we're not trying to do runs fasted. We're eating beforehand. So I want to point that out is this is not like fasted training. This is just a 40 minute run. You don't necessarily need to take in carbohydrates. Um, but for long runs and, and key workouts, those are the times that I recommend taking your fuel and practicing with your fuel. Um, and, um, those are the situations where, and in a hard workout too, you actually are depleting glycogen stores more quickly, um, because you're running at a higher intensity and then you're actually using more carbohydrates for that higher intensity workout. Um, and that can be really helpful. So even if you're not doing these principles, like apply to non-ultra athletes too. Um, and so if you're doing a, a half or a 
full marathon or something, you know, in particular for those, I would say doing some fueling during high intensity workouts can be really beneficial um, because you're likely going to be going at a quicker pace for those races. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's super key to recognize. I love the idea of athletes, especially athletes who are kind of just starting to work on their fueling, uh, to actually use the workout, which is uh, usually the second most stressful day in a training week, and using that as an opportunity to practice fueling um, on race day. You know, we have, um, there's a, the body takes on a lot of stress. It's a lot of concentrated stress and that can really affect your GI system. And so when we also think about the context of that, and then how do we work on fueling well, and, you know, hopefully getting to a place where we don't have GI distress, um, you know, using moments where you're under pressure really help the long run, you're under pressure, you're, de you're depleting glycogen stores, practicing on every long run leading up to a race is really important. Um, and then you have the workout where you're really under pressure. Like Kylie mentioned, when your effort level is higher, you're gonna be depleting your, your glycogen stores faster. And, um, you know, I, Kylie, maybe it would be helpful to explain, you know, a, a slight sidebar, but to explain some of the science there with, you know, how the metabolism kind of works when your effort increases and that mix between carbohydrate and fat burning and how that works? Um, yeah, so I think there's a lot of misconception around, you know, the fat versus, versus the carbohydrate and like, we're only using one thing at a time. Um, but our bodies are always using both fat and carbohydrate for energy production. Um, so we just need to keep that in mind, especially if you hear something about like becoming fat adapted, that doesn't mean that you aren't going to be using any carbohydrates, um, as a fuel source. Um, but when we're running at higher intensities or a higher percentage of our VO2 max, um, and this could occur, you know, in an ultra, if you're going uphill. So I want athletes to remember that like, you know, there are times in an ultra event where you are going to be going at a higher percentage of that VO2 max, then we are using a higher percentage of carbohydrate for our energy production. Um, and then uh, at lower intensities, we might be using a little bit more fat, but we're still, we still need carbohydrate and we still need a minimum amount, about 30 grams of carbohydrate per hour coming in. So that's the that's the key right there. Like even ultra athletes that are doing the low carb, high fat diet, they are taking in carbohydrates during their um, training and racing. Awesome. And before we get a little bit more into the numbers, let's just talk about the hydration, sodium, electrolyte piece to all of that, because it really works the same way, right? Like our, the higher our intensity, the more sodium concentration in our sweat, the more fluid, like the more fluids we need and the more electrolytes we need to be replacing. How can athletes, how does that um, athlete who's working towards their first ultra begin to, to look at that? 
Um, yeah, so I think the important thing to remember, I see a lot of athletes just, um, they'll start taking in a lot of sodium or like salt pills, et cetera, in their um, training and racing. And we all have individual uh, sodium sweat concentrations uh, that we need to consider. And we all, all have fluid loss um, kind of amounts that we need to consider. And so with the fluid loss piece, um, we can do that on our own at home. Now, I will say if somebody is, um, you know, triggered by using a scale, then this might not be something that you can really do. And we could figure out another alternative for you. Um, or you can have a friend help you do it. Uh, if, you know, you have a, a partner or a friend that could help you with the um, fluid loss testing, but the fluid loss testing is something that I recommend that all athletes, whether you're a beginner or not, you're doing that quarterly. So throughout the year, you are taking the time and you're doing it quarterly and you're, maybe you have a, um, it might sound obsessive, but maybe you have a chart, an Excel sheet or something, and you record your fluid loss testing on there to kind of see where you're at. Because the reason why we want to do that is our, our fluid losses change with our fitness level. And so depending on the part of the training cycle we're in, we actually tend to lose more fluids when we are fitter. So it sounds counterintuitive, but um, we tend to lose more fluids when we're fitter. And then the different seasons as well. So winter versus summer, we're going to have different fluid loss amounts. Um, so I, I'll start with that and how to do that at home. Um, if you can get on a scale if you have a scale or can you you know maybe can use one at the gym at home is ideal <laughs> um then uh you can do this test where you weigh yourself pre-run and then weigh yourself post-run um and you're going to do that with no clothes on because if you have clothes on that's going to skew the results um so the important part though you're gonna so you'll record your weight beforehand record your weight after important to not do this on a high intensity day and also not do this on a long run day. I have so many athletes that do that, even though I specifically say not to do that because we just talked about glycogen stores and glycogen stores being depleted at higher intensities and longer runs. So that's going to skew your fluid loss results if you're doing your testing on those days. So you really want to try to keep it to 45 minutes in duration up to 75 minutes in duration, easy effort training. Um, and you're going to want to, so you'll do that. You're going to want to repeat it three times. And then you need to make sure that you're standardizing everything to an hour because we want to, we're looking at how much am I losing in an hour? So if you do a 45 minute run, you need to standardize that to it, to the hour. Same thing with the 75 minute run. Um, so three of those take your, then what you want to do is divide by three, take and to get your average losses. And then once you get those losses, I'll do my example that I usually do. If you lose a pound an hour, um, what you're going to do is convert your pounds to ounces. So that's 16 ounces. And then 
your target for fluid intake is going to be 75 to 100% of fluid losses per hour. So 12 to 16 ounces per hour will be your fluid target, your fluid intake target. And we want to go for that amount because, you know, once we start getting over, we the idea is to minimize the whole of dehydration that we're going to get into. So the reality is we're all likely going to get some level of dehydration in our events, unless we're overfueling, which we also don't want to do. Um, and so we just want to try to minimize those losses because if we start having over 2% of our body fluid of our weight in body fluids is lost, then we start seeing performance being impacted. The other note that I want to make, this is kind of a lot because I'm keeping going here, but uh, the other note I want to make is if you have a high fluid loss rate, like excessively high, like four or five pounds of loss in an hour, um, that's something that likely you're not going to be able to get in 75 to 100 percent of those fluid um, of that fluid intake every hour. So you've just got to do your best here. And typically when we look at the limitations of the gut and absorption rate of the gut at about 36 ounces. You could train yourself maybe to get in a little bit more every hour. I mean, that's over a liter of fluids an hour. Um, that's where our gut starts to maybe not be able to absorb much more um, in that hour. And so it, it's I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it's going to be very difficult to replace those losses if you have a very high fluid loss rate. Um, and that's important to keep in mind then as I transition over to the sodium sweat concentration piece. So does that, that was all good on the fluid loss piece, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that was really helpful. Let's just pause there for a second and let kind of everybody absorb that because it is a lot of information. Um, but the, the key takeaways and guys rewind this, listen to how to test for your fluid loss at home. I can't tell you how important it is to know what your fluid loss is. An athlete who doesn't know what those numbers are is, is basically taking a shot in the dark when they go into race day with their hydration and we don't want to do that because there are enough variables when we're running long races and it can be any race that feels long. But like Kylie said, you know, we're really specifically targeting races that are 90 minutes or more long runs that are 90 minutes or more. You know, that's where this stuff really becomes an issue. Uh, and I, again, pause and rewind. If you aren't doing a fluid loss test, and a couple of these, and this is something that, you know, I've noted the need to do a couple in my own training, because the more heat adapted you are, the more you sweat. And it stinks because it's annoying like that you have to replace more fluid, even though you're better in the heat, but it's the reality. Like you're fitter, you sweat more. Um, and you really do a lot, like a lot of athletes really do. So make sure you know that. Um, and it's important to test throughout um, a buildup, like Kylie mentioned, you know, a couple of times to kind of see where you're at because the baseline can change. Um, you know, before we get, I want to, I want to get into the specific numbers because there are limitations. Um, like there's a high end of how much carbohydrate we can metabolize in an hour. 
there's a low end that we, you know, need to be at at minimum to make sure that we don't uh, have performance loss in these long events. Um, and then there's everything in between. And I think before we, we go into that, Kylie, when we kind of have an idea of our fluid loss, when we started to experiment with some different fueling, maybe we're using some whole foods, maybe we're using some sports nutrition, um, and we know that we're within 12 weeks in a, of an event and we have to get specific, um, would you say that 12 weeks is, an, is enough time to develop a tolerance for taking in calories while exercising um, and is enough time to develop like some of your likes and dislikes with regard to like what works and what doesn't work and what feels appetizing and what doesn't? Or do you think we need to zoom out and make that that kind of lead up window bigger? Um, I think I think twelve weeks can be enough time. Although I will say, if you're doing a longer event, then you might want to um, give yourself a little bit more time, and we'll likely go over that here in a little bit. But we are gonna maybe have some more options on our fueling plan, and and that needs to be tested in a certain way. Totally. All right, let's get into some of these numbers because I know we had a question on Facebook about electrolyte concentration. We've got another one here in the chat box. And I think this is one of the hardest things for athletes to dial in when um, they, they don't have like a specific plan to, to figure it out. Um, so let's let's start on let's start with that Kylie and then we'll go to the easier stuff which is dialing in your carbohydrate intake. Um so I guess our my question is how does an athlete be what is the starting point for um electrolyte sodium replacement what number per hour guys the gold standard on this is per hour for everything. It's not per mile. It's not per packet. It's of whatever you put in your flask, it's always like per hour. And then you get specific with the numbers. So Kylie, how does an at what's the baseline starting point for an athlete for replacing electrolytes? How does fluid loss play into that? And how does an athlete develop a, a good understanding of how much they need to replace knowing that we need to target 75% of losses at least? Yeah, so I think the this is the part that can get really tricky um, because we can give our general, you know, so the low end, the starting point is 250, 250 milligrams of sodium replenishment per hour. And the reason why we're, I'll, I'll make a note here. The reason why we're talking about sodium specifically is because it's the electrolyte that's a loss in the highest amounts in sweat. Other electrolytes are lost in sweat though. Um, and a lot of products will have some of those electrolytes in them, like sports nutrition products, but also your food does contain electrolytes. Remember? So if you're using a potato, that's high in potassium. So like you don't necessarily need to be dialing in the other electrolytes, unless you are having some kind of weird issue that needs to be troubleshooted. So sodium is where we're focusing. And that's why we're talking about these numbers. 
Um, and but I want to emphasize too that I have worked with two athletes recently that have that are kind of outliers. So they are they have lower than that sweat sodium sweat concentrations. And then on the other end of things, I've had athletes that are upwards of three thousand milligrams of sodium loss every hour. Um, uh, so on that high end of the the spectrum, and so. Oftentimes, these are the types of athletes that are going to be experiencing issues <laughs> because they get they they are and the, it, when we talk about issues, it would, would be good to kind of lay out what that might be. Um, you know, we can get um, frequent stomach cramping um, might contribute to muscle cramping, might not. Muscle cramping is very is complex. There's not it's not just an electrolyte thing. Sometimes, um, we see, um, and I will, and I'll go back to that stomach cramping. So when we have too little or too much sodium that can cause issues with fluid balance in our blood plasma and our, in our intestines. And so, um, too much can cause water to kind of flow into the small intestine, cause diarrhea, cramping, et cetera. And, and too little, then we can have issues with um, actually like utilization of our fuel that we're taking in because sodium can play a role in the um, getting your glucose molecules across the um, small intestine into the system to be utilized for energy production. Um, so you could have bonking, um, you could have nausea, you could have um, it can affect your mental acuity. Um, and so, and, it, and it's important to be very aware of both extremes. So both extremes are going to have similar symptoms. So hypo or hypernitremia means too little or too much sodium in the system. Um, and this is a topic that I feel like is being talked about more um, maybe in the nutrition and ultra space, there was a recent podcast on Jason Coop's podcast with an expert in this. And, and I think the confusion where the confusion comes in is because someone will get their, um, sodium sweat concentration, uh, amount, and they will automatically assume I need to take in a hundred percent of that every single hour. And that's what I'm going to do for my um, event. And that is relatively easy for people to do versus taking in the right amount of fluid every hour. And so the hard part is, is if you don't match your sodium intake to your fluid intake, then you can end up in a prop with a problem. Um, and so that's where I, I kind of emphasize to people more is not better for sodium either. Um, because I do see a lot of extreme sodium intake and especially in ultras where people are trying to, maybe they have some kind of issue going on. So they'll be like, oh, pop some salt tabs. And that's not always the, the best solution. Um, so sorry, that was kind of a tangent, yeah, but I wanted me... to give some background there before I give the, how I recommend figuring this out. Yeah. So let's just, let's just pause it here for a second, kind of like recap a little bit we're, we've got athletes who ideally know their fluid loss, that we, we know that there's, there are outliers, some people who 
will sweat a little less than 250 milligrams of sodium concentration in their sweat. You know, we have people who will do a little less than that. We have, you know, outliers who are going to be three, 4,000 milligrams of sodium loss in an hour. Um, but, you know, most of us are going to be in the middle there, you know, upwards of 250, you know, probably less than 2000. Um, I don't see a lot of numbers more than 2000 milligrams in, in my coaching. I'm sure Kylie, you, you see the full spectrum just by the nature of what you do, but I just want athletes to recognize we've got the, we're starting to get the components to this that help us make better decisions and really figure this out. Uh, it's, we're starting with 250 milligrams of sodium replacement per hour. Um, that's our starting point. And ideally we're matching that with the proper amount of fluid loss. So if you lose a pound of fluid an hour, that's 16 ounces. We're trying to replace at least 75% of that. So, you know, we could get 75% of the sodium. I don't know the exact numbers on that, but like uh, 175, 175 milligrams, 200 milligrams of sodium in at least 12 ounces of fluid. And that's kind of our starting point. And then how do we narrow, how do you narrow? I know how I work with athletes on this, but I wanna hear from you, Kylie, you're the expert. Like how would you help an athlete who didn't do a sodium concentration test to decide whether they actually need more sodium or not? Yeah, so, so this can be tricky though. Um, because a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, are the salt, uh, streaks on my clothing, a good indicator of whether I'm a salty sweater or not. Sometimes they are, but sometimes it can be a result of if you had a salty, you had a lot of sodium intake the day before. So it, that it can be tricky in that sense, but to to give a range, I think to give a range, a safe range, 250 to 500 milligrams of sodium per hour is like a safe range, you know? Um, and if you're a newbie doing this, then maybe you start with like 250 to 350 an hour and you kind of sit there and you see like, do, do I have any stomach issues? Do I, am I feeling weird, etc. Um, So if you can't, get a sodium sweat concentration test done, uh, then that is a safe area to stay in. Now, if you're on the hard part though, that again, that I'm trying to emphasize, and I think a lot of ultra athletes, if not all should be getting sodium sweat concentration tests done. Um, I think it's important to consider that over a 30 hour race, uh, if you're at 250 an hour, but you're actually losing uh, 900 an hour, then that can cause issues. And you might not know it because in your training, you're not doing a 30 hour training session. So that's the tricky part when we're dealing with like, maybe, you know, new athletes that are trying to figure this out. Yeah. Um, so let me, Kylie, let me jump in here because I think that this is kind of the, this is like the ex trial and error part of this. What are you experiencing out there? Do you have cramping? Did you have stomach distress? Like focusing in on some of those things that might signal that you're not getting enough sodium 
and then trying to tweak that bit by bit as you go. And another reason why I just really like it when athletes do lead up races before their big a race, especially an athlete who really does like, who's really looking to do longer ultras. Um, it gives you a chance to see how your fueling is really working for you. Cause like what Kylie mentions over a couple hours, if you've got enough sodium in your diet, if you've, you know, hydrated well before the event with electrolytes, like if in a long run, that's four hours, you might actually not feel the discomfort yet. You might not feel the cramping coming on. And so you end up operating under the assumption that you're getting enough and then, but your race is eight hours. And when you start to approach the longer duration of the race, then you start to get the discomfort and you think I'm not fit enough. I'm not well-trained enough. And I see this time and time again with athletes and when that athlete find, you know, when those athletes finally recognize this is most likely a fueling issue, when we look very uh, openly and honestly at the actual work the athletes done training wise, it's like, I need, you know, okay, we need to do more work on the fueling side, particularly the sodium stuff. Um, so Kylie, like, how do we, what are the increments? Like, how do we start to make those tweaks? Um, what do you mean increments? Like, would you have an athlete jump up by a hundred milligrams an hour if they're experiencing discomfort or 200 milligrams an hour? Yeah. What yeah. And I would say kind of going back to what we were talking about, like, you got to make sure all the pieces are there though, too. So you could get stomach cramping from not having enough fluids or too much fluids, and then also not having the right sources, types of fuel. So it, it's, I think it's important to recognize that that's why we need to do this for a long period of time versus two weeks before a race, because if we do end up with some kind of um, issue that we need to troubleshoot, then that can take a little bit of time to figure out. But yeah, 100, 100 milligrams um, an hour is a good target, I would say. Um, and, and then kind of going up from there. And then once so here's the thing, though, once you reach 500 milligrams an hour, if you're at that ceiling and you're still experiencing issues, then I'm going to say, like, don't mess around with that. And you need to get a sodium sweat concentration test like they are literally only 100 bucks. Uh, so and they you don't have to get more than one. You just get one ever. And that's your sodium sweat concentration doesn't change a ton changes a little bit with fitness, but remember it matches your fluid loss rates. So it, it's going to change based on fluid loss rates. So that's consider an investment in your, um, it, you're training so hard for these like ultra endurance events. And, and I think it's, it's a really good investment in, in being able to like have a key to try and help you finish safely. It's a safety thing too. Like, I yeah. really think it's a safety thing. It's a complete game changer. When you know those numbers, you just have another process-oriented goal to lean on during your race and something to focus on. And I think that the athletes that I have had who have finally, you know, after much uh, nagging on my part, have gotten that testing. And it's just like, wow, you know, I was so under what I needed. And I, I will put myself in that department. You know, I got a test last year 
And I already knew that around what I needed. And it was like, oh, you actually need like 200 more. And then my like abdominal cramping in races went away completely, even in really long ultras. And so like some of the stuff like that, that really makes a difference. Knowing your fluid loss and knowing what the concentration of sodium in that is really matters. Um, Athletes who don't have the ability to do that, again, it's, it's going to be a trial and error process and you've got to, you know, can continue to learn from, you know, what you feel and, and what you're feeling out there. That's kind of the most important part. And there are a lot more variables involved in that, as Kylie mentioned, and, you know, we should make sure that we start to think about what our carbohydrate intake is. So let's get into that a little bit, you know, knowing that we needed need at least 30 grams of carbohydrate per hour as kind of the minimum. What are the ranges that you, you see athletes using effectively, Kylie, and what do you recommend? Um, can I say one more thing on the sodium piece? Like just, I wanted to just mention about like, if you were to get the test done, cause I feel like people don't know where to get that done. Um, there's an in-person precision hydrate precision hydration. Um, you can get those done across the country and world at certain in-person testing locations. And then there is a level in sodium sweat test where you can just, they mail you the test. You do it at home. Those are relatively accurate. The Gatorade sweat test pack patches are not that accurate. So they're cheap, but they're not that accurate. So, um, if you're going to do one, I, a lot of my athletes do the level in ones. Um, so, you know, consider getting one of those done and then I won't get too deep in the weeds here. I promise, but I just want to make a note that like, when you get those results back, um, it's going to tell you, uh, you're losing, um, say it's 800 milligrams of sodium per liter of sweat. Um, what you need to do with that information is, um, convert. Uh, so try to figure out how much sodium you're losing per ounce of sweat. Uh, so you take the 800 milligrams of sodium per liter, and you divide that by 33 because a liter is about 33 ounces. And then you get your sweat concentration per ounce. Once you have that information, it's amazing because then you can apply that to your fluid losses and you can adjust that based on how much fluid you're taking in. So I just wanted to like, I feel like I had to finish that, finish that before we go on to the carbohydrate piece. Um, so carbohydrate piece, uh, 30 grams per hour is the minimum. And then we start to get up to the maximum, which they're finding in research is maybe higher than what we thought it was, but for the average person, we, I would say we don't need to go above 90 grams per hour. Um, yes, some elite athletes are maybe using 100, 120 grams an hour, but for the average person, we don't need to be doing that. And it can also lead to increased risk of stomach distress So 30 to 90 grams per hour. What is that in calories? Um, that is a good question. Uh, I, I always, you think I would, uh, have this calculated by now that's going to be, <laughs> so there's four calories per gram, 120 to 360 calories. <laughs> Perfect. And I think it's so important, um, 
for athletes to just know that like the minimum is what did you say 220 probably the high end of that is 360 and we have to be in that range per hour to have a good performance uh the, the low end is 120 tj 120, so i think it's sorry. important to point that out that that might not be enough yeah. for a lot of people you know so when we're looking at calorie intake per hour you'll hear the two to 300 uh, calories per hour thrown around a lot. Um, and that needs to be, you need to put some thought into, you know, what is my body frame size? What is my race duration going to look like? What's the terrain look like? Because for ultra athletes, it's typically higher than 200 calories an hour. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> much hot, you know, definitely much higher athletes who are only taking in 200 calories, I think they usually get pretty, pretty bonky as towards the end of a long race. Um, let's talk just a little bit about taking that in, in whole foods or sports nutrition. Um, because I think that there's just this stigma. We see it a lot at microcosm. We take a holistic approach to training and we love that approach, but often that attracts athletes who are really scared of like sports nutrition and one of the I think drawbacks of using whole foods or foods you make at home is you don't know how many carbohydrates are in there you don't know the calorie content and then you're guessing throughout the entire race or long run and you really you don't end up making the gold standard of this which is like carbohydrates or calories per hour sodium and electrolytes and fluid loss per hour. And then we have no idea how to tweak things based on how we feel because we don't know how much we're taking in. Um, and so I, I would love to know, like, if you've got an athlete who is, you know, primarily wanting to use like whole or real food options, how do they have any idea on how much of what is in there, how much sodium makes up the content of the rice balls they're eating or the mashed potatoes they're taking in or how many calories or like any of that important information, what would be your advice for that athlete? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the tricky, that is the tricky part of using your like homemade stuff. And also people don't think about what, portion do I need to aim for in order to get the calories and the nutrition I need like they might make a make some rice balls but then they're taking in a rice ball an hour and that's likely not enough so you've got to think about like how much nutrition is packed into this thing or mashed potatoes are another good example like instant mashed potatoes they're not that high in calories so you need to either like put oil or butter or something in there to get the calories up, or you're going to have to have something else in the hour to get your calories. So what I usually recommend doing is um, signing up for, uh, I actually really like chronometer. Uh, it's a, it is a food tracking system, but at the same time, it can be a really, um, it, it's a database of foods and you put things in and then you can get the nutrition information for those foods. So if you make a recipe, um, you can actually put in the recipe into chronometer and then it will analyze that nutrition wise. And then you can divide it into how many servings this recipe made. And then you can get a sense of what am I at 
for the nutrition breakdown, it's it's still going to be a little bit of an estimate because sometimes those systems are a little off on the foods that are in there, but it, it does use the USDA dat, um, food database. So it's relatively good. I don't really like my fitness pal because I don't feel like it's quite as accurate and it doesn't give the same level of detail for breakdown. So chronometer is free um, and you can um, easily figure out some nutrition breakdowns for the things that you're planning on using. And just if an athlete wants, you know, something that's pre-packaged, but is, you know, closer to a whole food option, what, what kind of options are out there? Like what brands would you recommend? So you're saying you're not making your stuff. You're just choosing something that's like already pre-made. Yeah. Um, but it's not maybe like a goo energy gel. Um, so lots of options here. Um, a, a lot of athletes will use like fig bars or, um, I'm trying to think of pre-packaged cause potatoes are a common one, but they're not pre-packaged. Um, uh, and same thing with mashed potatoes. Um, what about like spring energy gels that are kind of taste more like a smoothie rather than something that's like really manufactured in a lab, like a, like a goo energy birthday cake gel or something like that, or a goo rock team. Yeah. I mean, those can be, I can sit, I don't know why I kind of lump them into the like gel options um they're food blend options essentially so they're gonna be like baby food and you can certainly use those sorts of things um to fuel yourself as well I will say that athletes need to be careful if you have a sensitive stomach because spring energy has fruit in it and it which contains fructose which cannot agree with some people's stomach and then it all they also contain oftentimes some fat and protein. So you've got to watch which ones you're choosing um, because some of them, you know, have 20 grams of fat in them and that might be way too much for some people. So um, those are options um, that would already have the nutrition breakdown. Muir Energy is another one, M-U-I-R. And they have some options that are nice um, for those that have nut allergies. So they have like seed butter is used in some of their options so that could be something and that brings up another thing that I thought of is like with ultra events you know later in the ultra you might want to use a little bit of fat and protein so you could um, potentially have like a, a prepackaged honey nut butter as like a little something um, remember you still got to get in your carbs but that could be something or a sunflower seed butter or something yeah. And just to, you know, piggyback on that for a second, when we're thinking about introducing other macros into our fueling and, and not just carbohydrates, you know, what specifically how, like what length of event would we, we would we be wanting to do that in? Um, I would say not for a 50K, anything maybe above a 50k uh, distance would be a good just general guideline um and and you can start just introing things now i guess if it was a really hilly like mountainous 50k maybe but at the same time then you 
uh, likely are going to need more carbohydrate because remember earlier we were talking about if you're going uphill, you're going to be at a higher percentage of VO2 max. So you need carbs. So it still might not be the best option for a 50K that's hilly. Yeah. I mean, I see like in, in practice, I see, you know, races that are, I don't know, like maybe less than 12 hours, um, athletes just having GI issues when they use stuff like speed nut and like all of those really like nutty kind of fatty options that are out there. Um, and, and like, I don't know, my personal opinion would be like to avoid those macros until you really get into races that are like long, long, we're talking like 10, 12 or more hours, um, where the intensity drops down significantly, where you're taking a lot more time at aid stations, maybe you're hiking a lot more of those uphills. So, you know, your, your heart rate isn't, um, fluctuating as much because when your heart rate is up, and the blood leaves your GI system, it's much harder to digest more complex uh, macros. And so then you have issues. Well, um, yeah, I think it's important to mention that too. A lot of people don't know, like beginners as well, like don't know that protein and fat are digested more slowly in the body. So in general, like they're already digested more slowly. And then um, if you are, like you were saying, if you're going at a quicker pace, more blood is going to be diverted away from the gut. So, you know, if you had protein and fat, you might be okay, but you might have to slow down because your like stomach can't handle um, uh, that much uh, to digest at once in that hour. Totally. Yeah. And like, I don't know, signs of that might be like feeling bloated, sloshy stomach, burping a lot. Um, could all be signs. It's like, oh, I'm taking in more than I can digest right now. I got to like slow down a little bit, maybe cool down, cool myself down if it's hot. Um, you know, give yourself a little bit of a, a, a heart rate drop so you can start to get some blood back into your gut and start to digest some of those things so you don't end up puking. Um, <laughs> and I always laugh at that because I always throw up out there. Um, until I got my sodium sweat test done. You guys got to get that done. Um, all right, let's talk about pre-race um, just in like the last six, seven minutes that we've got, Kylie. I think I don't want to gloss over this because I think it's something that athletes forget is really important. What are your guidelines for pre-long run meal, pre-race meal? How much time should, how much should athletes be taking in? How many calories? How much time should they give themselves to digest? What kind of foods do we want to be eating leading up to a race? It's a lot of questions in one. <laughs> yeah, this is the, this no, is I like, know. I think like something I, I'll, I'll guide you through it. We can do this. Well, do you want to do the lead up race yeah. week first and then yeah, let's lead do, into? Yeah, let's do like the 48 hours before a race first and then we'll finish with like that last breakfast before race day okay so um well and I would even say if it's a long ultra like 50 hundred miler I would maybe bring that out to 72 hours beforehand just in regards to increasing carbohydrate intake if you want to take advantage of a proper gradual carb increase um and it's a longer event than I would do um, 72 hours beforehand. And so 
um, when we're looking at a gradual carb increase, it's not the night before I have six plates of pasta. We are trying to increase our carbs in the days leading up to the target event to try and like super saturate those glycogen stores to make sure they are topped off. And that's the other reason why we have a taper too, is to make sure one of the reasons why I have a taper to make sure that we're able to kind of have fully restocked glycogen stores. Um, so, uh, without getting into too much detail, um, it, the standard rec is five to 12 grams per kilogram body weight for carbohydrates for those three days out, two to three days out. Um, and what you want to do is take your body weight, divide by 2.2 to get weight in kilograms. Then you kind of, I usually recommend at, a lot of athletes are not even near uh, 12 grams per kilogram body weight in their regular training. So don't start there, start between five and seven um, and figure out what your carb needs are for the day. Um, and then kind of go from there. It's difficult to kind of like give a brief overview on this, um, but maybe double your carbs from what you're normally eating on a daily basis. And then um, keep your protein and fat relatively low. Um, and that can be kind of a, like a guide for you. Uh, try not to eat too many fruits and veggies the day before. So a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to get constipated. So I, I totally understand that. But the day before is where you want to focus on maybe lower fiber, um, fruits and vegetables, uh, smoothies, um, cooking your veggies, if you're going to have them, not big salads, etc. Um, avoidance of the day before as well, avoidance of spicy foods or risky foods might be like seafood or something might be a little bit more risky. I only say that because I had teammates that got food poisoning <laughs> one time from, from doing seafood the night before a big event. Um, and then um, maybe trying to stick to things that you're a little bit more familiar with too. Um, so not like even if you're traveling, trying to maybe have some similar things that you're used to having and keeping the um, dinner the night before like kind of simple and and maybe not having like heavy cream sauces and things like that. So just a couple of things to think about on that lead up. I could I did a whole class that's an hour long just on this kind of thing. So yeah, I think that was plenty for athletes to think about plenty of guidance. Um, all right, let's take it in, in the last two, three minutes we've got, let's just, let's just zoom in and think about the hours before the race. What are we doing for a meal and what are we doing for hydration? And then let me just add on to this guys, this is stuff that you, you practice before your long runs. So you know that it works for you before race day. All right, Kylie, take it. Yeah. So, um, we, a general rule of thumb is going to be, um, five to 700 calories beforehand. Um, maybe a little bit more if you have a bigger body frame size and the race is longer. Um, you want to think about, uh, timing it right. So, you know, if, if you're doing that big of a meal, you don't want to have it 30 minutes before your long run or your race. Um, you want to focus on carbohydrates. So having uh, more simple carbs, um, if anyone wants numbers, at least one to two grams per kilogram body weight for carbohydrate. 
Um, and simple carbs, meaning not your whole wheat bread, not your whole rolled oats. I see a lot of athletes doing oatmeal, porridge, those sorts of things. If you're going to do that, I do the quick cook, like microwavable ones because they're lower in fiber. Um, a little bit of fat and protein could be helpful because it's going to allow for you to maybe keep a little bit more stable blood sugar. Um, it is, it's optional, but sometimes people get a rebound hypoglycemic effect where they'll have like a spike and drop in blood sugar if they just have carbohydrate. So like eight to 10 grams of protein, um, maybe a little bit of fat too, five to 10 grams of fat, um, just to keep it, keep things a little, little bit more stable. Um, and then fluid wise, um, you can have your coffee if you want. Uh, but I suggest also having some fluids, um, with a little bit of electrolyte in there. So maybe, um, it could be something as simple as like element or liquid IV or noon, but you could also consider getting some more calories and carbs from your, from a hydration mix. Um, you could use whatever you're planning on using in your race or something else that, you know, works for you. Um, and I usually say just maybe start with like 10 ounces and see how that does. You don't want to obviously be like peeing excessively um, and stopping all the time, but you know, a little bit of hydration before you go out can be really beneficial to you. Just you've kind of dehydrated overnight. So want to kind of rehydrate with something other than just coffee. Awesome. Kylie, thank you so much. I think that was a ton of information, plenty for athletes to, you know, start incorporating and for experienced athletes to even consider when they need to start to make tweaks. I know, you know, I've been doing this for a long, long time. And every time I do one of these calls with you, or we talk about a nutrition component, I think about something that I could do differently in my own training. Um, Again, you know, I will make a big shout out to getting that sweat, sweat test done and doing the fluid, the consistent fluid loss tests. I know for some athletes, it can be, it can be really tough to want to get on a scale, um, you know, have a buddy help you with that. And then they can just tell you what the loss is and you don't have to know what your weight is. That's something that, you know, you're sensitive to, or can be a trigger for you, um, you know yeah, definitely like ask a friend to help you because if you know those numbers, you are going to be putting yourself in a position to really then go out and run to your potential. And, you know, fueling is, you know, one of the most important parts of this. So if you don't, if you don't do your homework in these areas and you're not going to be setting yourself up to have the best possible experience when you get out there on your long run, your big adventure or your race. Um, cool. Well, thanks guys. I, I super appreciate it. It's so great to see everybody on the call and, um, I hope everybody found this helpful and we can definitely Kylie's on our team. We can definitely answer follow-up questions or go deeper on any of these subjects in the future. So if you guys have more questions or, you know, sometimes conversations like for like provoke more questions and there are answers. Um, please feel free to reach out. You guys know how to get in touch with us. We're here. All right. Have a great weekend. Thanks everybody.